Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Mila Brujic, and I'm here today with Dr. Doug DeVries, and we're going to be talking about revolutionizing the diagnostic and therapeutic algorithm for dry eye disease on this episode of the Optometric Insights Show. Thank you for being with us. Truly appreciate it. I mean, I don't think there's a soul in optometry that doesn't know who Doug DeVries is. I, I, I remember the first time I met you, it was back in 2004. It was actually at a, a meeting, um, and you gave, arguably to this day, one of the most pivotal discussions on dry eye, where the need is, um, and, and why we as optometry really kind of need to embrace this opportunity to help our patients. So I, I still to this day remember that lecture. I remember having dinner with you that evening. Um, but Doug, give the audience a little bit more of a background on yourself. Tell us a little bit about your practice background and really kind of what your focus is. Sure. And Mila, I, I actually remember that as well because it was in Napa, California. <laughs> and it was, it was a great setting and we, we did. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the rules were a little different then, so you could really have a lot of interaction uh, with people. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, well, my, my background goes uh, really in forming uh, an optometric referral center. And it's been 29 years ago that, that I did that. And, uh, you know, then as the we were doing volume cataract. We started into refractive surgery. And one of the things that uh, happened then is we were running into all these LASIK patients that were having all this problem with dry eye. And it was just starting to come out because, you know, the majority of patients that were having the procedures were becoming contact lens intolerant. So that's where they gravitated. Well, that's the last people we needed to operate on, but we didn't know that. And so my partner came to me and he said, hey, Doug, he said, you know, we need to figure out this dry eye thing and what's going on and what's going on in industry. And he goes, by we, I mean you, because <laughs> I'm in the operating room, so you got to figure it out. And so that that's how I happened to get involved all these years ago uh, and just found it fascinating, uh, all the uh, multiple underlying etiologies that, that create this problem. It is interesting, Doug. You know, so I, I just go back to why I started this passion for dry eye disease. And it was out of necessity. It was born out of necessity. It was 2005. A patient came back because they thought their glasses were incorrect. At that point, I mean, we're talking 2005. So the diagnostic tools that we had at the time were minimal. I put fluorescein on the eye. I saw the tear film breakup time was reduced to almost like immediate. And there was corneal staining. And we had one prescription product at the time, but we could at least provide treatment for the patient. And I just remember not wanting people to leave my office feeling like they got an incorrect pair of glasses or prescription. So I just incorporated that kind of mindset into every patient. We got to rule this out so that we have optimal outcomes. And it almost sounds like it was born kind of out of, out of similar necessity. You guys wanted the best outcomes. You saw this as kind of a, a thing that you, you had to make sure you were focusing on. But boy, Doug, I mean, fast forward to today, you have to be I mean, especially when, if you were working with post-LASIK dryness, you have to be just amazed at the plethora of diagnostics and therapeutics that we have available. Oh, it, it, it really is. I mean, we're, the, our diagnostics before, you know, in 97, 98, when we were working with these LASIK patients was basic topography is mm -hmm. what we had. And then some fluorescein. Uh, that's, that's all we had. Now, fluorescein is still an integral part of that. But that's when the damage has already been done. But the yes. topographer would pick up uh, mild imperfections in that tear foam and show it up as irregular topography. And we'd have our technicians label with tears, without tears. So I would know when I was looking at these patients, whether or not we had to supplement just to get an accurate topography. Yeah, it's unbelievable how much of a screening tool that is. Now, Doug, 
Here's one of the challenges that I, that I perceive, and, and please tell me if, if you're saying the same thing. So, you know, when we go to these meetings and we interact with colleagues, there's so much now in the dry eye space, it seems like, and it's evolved so quickly. Do you find that there's this kind of uh, almost confusion because we now have like too much in the space? Well, I, I think we have too much and not enough definition. You know, we have so much and coming from so many different angles, but that just that just proves the point of the multiple underlying ideologies that you can uh, you can attack things from so many different angles because those uh, those comorbidities exist with that dry eye patient. So no, I completely agree. It's very very confusing uh, at this particular point. So now, Doug, I, I understand that you're kind of working on uh, something that's a pretty elaborate algorithm that's going to give um, clinicians a little bit more guidance and a little bit more direction on this. Because again, listen, there's you, you walk through any of the either virtual or real exhibit halls or in-person exhibit halls, and you see how much um, has gone into understanding the ocular surface better with dry eye disease patients. But again, it, it can get confusing. We've kind of evolved through this system. But Again, you're working on something really, really cool here, Doug, a, a really kind of neat algorithm. Share with the audience a little bit more on, on what you're working on and really what the intent behind this is. You know, I sure will, Milan, and, and it actually, again, is born out of necessity because of that confusion that you've talked about and practitioners really saying, okay, where do I start? What do I do? What do I test? What do I look at? Uh, so I've been working with uh, Paul Karpecki, uh, and we've been actually working on this, putting together an algorithm that is electronically based. Uh, because if you take a look at any of the paper algorithms, I mean, as much dry as you as you treat, and you look at one of those paper algorithms, and it can be very confusing. You know, where do you go here? Where do you branch off from here? So we decided we had to do this electronically, and we've created something that is very close to commercialization at this point uh, that is called Ophthalmic Resources, where uh, it's actually a paint-by-numbers guide. So we have the images of what you should look at with the patient, identify the eye that you're looking at in the silt lamp with what's on the screen for grading, and it'll work down. It'll talk about different, uh, uh, different systemic, different conditions. Uh, and then at, at that point, when you've gone through the tests that you have available, you hit the tab of uh, get results, and it will go through and give you both uh, – therapeutic and, and uh, over-the-counter recommendations. And then it doesn't stop there because as you know, one of the big keys to compliance is making sure the patient gets the right thing. Uh, so what it does at that point, it actually places an order for the patient that's delivered to their doorstep in about three days uh, for compliance reasons and the appropriate quantity so they can get you to the next visit. And then the next visit comes in, everything is preloaded from what you did. You look at the improvements, you look at the stagnation, and then it goes to the next level of treatment. Uh, so to help the clinician out to say, here's where I start. And then here's where I go if we're not getting the improvement. And then here's where we go if we're getting improvement and how we back off. My philosophy has always been, I tell the patients, I'm going to have you on the least amount of treatment that keeps your condition at, at a stable level. And so it, it goes both backwards and forwards. It uh, has something that what we've done is we based it on about 2,500 patients between Paul and myself that we've seen uh, and determined. So we're using best in category uh, type of over-the-counter products. And then the recommendations, we're still going to, I mean, there's still going to be doctor decisions to be made on, you know, what do you, do you want to use a cyclosporin? Do you want to use uh, an LFA1 antagonist? Do you want to use a, you know, get into a, uh, uh, a low-dose steroid? And so it gives, it'll still put some choices there, but it'll give guidance and it'll really help that, 
that clinician. Uh, and all they have to do at that point is go through the questions, go through the tests and match the eye uh, with what's on the algorithm. It'll blow it up. It'll show you the eye. It'll help you grade it so that everybody is grading the same way. Because as you know, everybody grades differently. So if we can standardize this. And then the beauty of this is it, it has AI in it also. We collect all the information. Everything is uh, is downloaded. And then we can make uh, changes in the and the algorithm will actually make changes based on the outcomes for the specific age, gender, uh, and condition that the patient has. Well, Doug, that's um, my mind blowing. Uh, so I have several comments and questions. You know, the first thing is I, a paper kind of algorithm is great, but it gets like you said so complicated so fast. In addition to that, it's tough to modify when new information comes out. I'm assuming that because it's on electronic platform, when new information comes out or when, you know, who knows in five years what the new treatment is going to be or what we're going to understand about the ocular surface that we don't know today that we're going to need to incorporate into our algorithm. I, I'm assuming that you guys will just be able to put it on the in the back end. You'll be able to feed it into the system so that well, you know... Hey. Actually, what, that's a great, great point. What happens is, uh, as the algorithm changes, when the clinician turns it on in the morning, they will get the most current version because it's wow. all cloud-based. So they will get that. And also, all that information is fed back to our central computers so that we can have not 2,500 patients, but we can have 25,000 patients. We can have 100,000 patients to base results on. So uh, it really is exciting that we can update this. Somebody doesn't have to say, well, update the program. They turn it on and they get the most current uh, algorithm for that. Uh, and Doug, what's the interface look like? Like, is it going to be uh, another computer screen in the exam room? Is it going to be an iPad? Like, what's that going to look like? Well, it actually is because it also incorporates a diagnostic test with it. Uh, in relate to exposure and blinks, uh, it actually will be a an expanded handheld type of tablet encased in a device that a patient can hold and actually go through a diagnostic test that that information automatically gets fed into the algorithm wow. because we're seeing so much in the world in, in the, uh, the the problematic uh, video display and light emitting displays and how much that it actually gives some, captures some real information shows the importance of what the patient is doing, and then that gets it fed into the algorithm as well. That's great, Doug. So uh, remind me again how you have the time to do all the other stuff that you're doing in addition to this. Um, well, I still Doug, practice full time. <laughs> that's fantastic, Doug. Um, it's, um, it's remarkable to hear, and, and I, I think a tool like this is going to be really, really well embraced by the profession. I think, um, you know, it's so difficult to standardize things, but I think this is really kind of, the future of what we're going to see and, and incorporating AI into it to help modify what those treatment protocols are going to be today, tomorrow, and in the future, whatever that might be. I think that's just kind of the coolest thing about it. Um, Doug, anything else you want to add about ophthalmic resources? Uh, you know, we're uh, just on the, uh, the cusp of actually working with some major uh, players in the in the space that are going to help get it uh, commercialized and get it out and be able to talk about it. So we should have an announcement uh, right around Vision Expo uh, East, which is going to be held in Orlando. Uh, and uh, we have another product that I really can't go into much detail, but stay tuned. I'd love to come back sometime as soon as we have that and uh, describe that too, because we're, you know, we, we're just... Uh, you know, as we look and you, I know you, you and I have talked about this many times and share the frustration of, 
saying, how do we get more people treated? How do we really take, and how do we let optometry totally take control of dry eye? Cause that's where it should be. It should be in the, in the primary care optometric practice of, of doing that. Uh, so we, uh, in, enjoy working, enjoy teaching on this. And I, we're just going to have a lot of fun when this, uh, when this rolls out. Doug, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the resource. I, I know that um, you've put a lot of time and effort and sweat equity into this thing. So, so I, I, I know it's going to be good. If it's coming from Doug DeVries, I know it's going to be quality. Doug, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for being on the show. And thank you, audience, for joining us on this episode of the Optometric Insights Show. Thank you, Mila. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's always a pleasure.